So, last week during the sermon, I get a uh, like a buzz, and I have my phone in my back pocket. <laughs> it was from Jim. <laughs> He's over there texting me instead of listening to the sermon. Man. I said, speak up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, got a question for you this morning. What is the most hated role in all of sports? Referee. Referee. That is exactly it. Man. Why? Why? Because. There's two rules about referees. Two rules about referees. Okay. Referee is always right. Referee is always right. Yeah, I always thought the second rule was the first rule is wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, referees never get things right. Umpires never get things right. They're blind. They're dumb. They're fill in the adjective, right? They're biased, right? Um, I've been a part of a lot of different sports teams where we would go to another school, and it's like, man, these guys are biased. You know, you're like you're playing. Calls never go your own way. Um, I, um, when I was, a, I never really had issues with umpires and refs when I was a player, except for once. Um, I, but I did have them when I was a coach and it was because I was taught a certain way of doing things on a baseball field. And they said, oh, that's not a real rule. And I said, I don't care if it's not a real rule. You should play it because it makes no sense otherwise, you know? And so, but yeah, referees, umpires, they, they always get just called all sorts of things. Um, a couple of weeks ago, there was a baseball game, and this player and this ref almost went at it. Like, usually the player gets into the umpire's face, and he spits, and he kicks dirt, you know, and all this stuff. But this time, this umpire was about to take this guy out. I mean, he was followed the player back to the dugout. Like, he was ready to take this guy out. And so finally... He had to be subdued, not in the sense of capture, but the other rep, the other umpires had to send him out. And I've, it's one of those rare occurrences where the umpire gets thrown out of the game. Okay, so, but they have a thankless job. Like my my dad was a an umpire for years. My sister did some umpire. I would never take the classes because I don't want to be in that situation because I don't have the, the calmness of demeanors. So if I'm getting yelled at, I would just turn around and yell at people. And so, but I would watch and my dad was very, he was very unbiased when it came to, you know, um, any game, but he would get called all sorts of things. And umpires have a thankless job um, but it's really funny. I don't know if you saw it a little while ago. There was a soccer match, and this guy got a yellow card. It was a little bit of a meme, and he takes out a reverse Uno card, and he points it back. And he shows it to the, the the ref, as if like, no, you take the the yellow card, you know. And so they get all sorts of things. But the purpose of an umpire or a ref or a judge is to keep the game even right is to keep it so everyone's following the same rules at least that's what they're supposed to do and it's to make sure like they have to make some really hard calls but now in our modern day of modern sports now we have umpires and refs who are being judged by other judges 
right? So if they miss a call or a team feels like they miss a call, they get to get the repeal or they get to, you know, say, oh, I, I challenged that call. And now either the on-field umpires, refs, or whatever they call I'm just going to call them judges. Um, on-the-field judges have to go over and review it. Or sometimes they even have someone in the box that, has the, that reviews it and then overturns it. And to me, that's, that's crazy because you're just taking more power away from the judge. I know it's supposed to make it more fair, but man, sometimes those calls when it's like right at the wire, it's hard to tell, you know. And I've seen guys, I've been watching uh, baseball games and I'll see people and the way that you judge a, a, uh, an out at a base is you have to watch the base and you have to listen for the, the thump of the ball. It's a really hard skill to do. And so I'll watch, like I'll be watching shows and, uh, or games and I'll watch it and that foot hits just a, like a split microsecond before the pop. And those guys are pretty well on. Like they're like right there. And I'm so surprised because you have all those people yelling. You have the, everything's moving. And those guys, say what you want about umpires and judges, they're pretty good. Especially the higher you go, they're really good. And so, but their job is to make sure everyone stays within the boundaries of the game, right? So if the ball goes out, and I'll tell you a quick story about what happened to me. I never played men's slow pitch softball in my life. Never played. I always played baseball, right? And in this one particular, I was invited to come play just one game. And I ran through the base like you're supposed to. Except there was, like, I, I veered off. Well, the foul line was really close, or the out-of-bounds line, sorry. The out-of-bounds line was really close, and it had no um, fence. So I accidentally crossed over. If you don't know, that is an out. So I beat out the throw, but I got out because of that. That, that umpire became my high school baseball coach who I hated. <laughs> and it all started, I first met him, that one moment. You know, and so, but he was, he did, looking back on it, he did his job. That was a rule, and therefore I should have been out. But that's what we're talking about today, is boundaries, and being within the boundary. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Judges chapter 17. And we're going to look at two chapters today because we're coming to the end of Judges. And there's only a few more stories left in here. Now, last week we talked about how we ended with all the Judges, right? And you would think, okay, we're done with the Judges. We're done with Judges. But we're not. Because remember at the very beginning, we talked about how Judges is a cycle that's spinning further and further down. We're getting at the bottom of that whirlpool, of that spiral. And we're going to see how now, without any of the judges around, how bad it gets. Remember how I kept saying that we're going to get some, some gruesome stuff? And we started out with things like the stabbing guy and his um, excrement coming out. We talked about that, and then we saw the tent peg through the temple, right? Next week, I'm going to tell you it's the worst of the worst. Okay, it's, it's graphic, it's disgusting, and we need to talk about it because it's really important. Okay? 
But this week, so we're getting down to where we're just covering a few more stories. There's just a few stories left. And in order to understand these stories, we're going to have to look at big picture stuff like we've been doing. But we're going to have to cover several chapters at a time. That's what we're doing today. We're going to cover 17 and 18. Okay, so but we're at the the last section. So we have three sections of judges. The first section was the introduction, right? We talked about how it's very unique to judges. Um, the second section is the bulk of it. It's the body of the piece, which is all the judges. And we started with the good judge, right, Othniel, and we ended with the bad judge, Samson, right? We did all these different judges. Now we're coming to the end where now we won't see judges anymore, and we're just going to see it kind of go its own way. All right, and we got several chapters. So we're going to be, I think we're going to be three to uh, three more weeks in the book of Judges, and then we're going to hit Ruth because Ruth is actually a part of the Judges era. And so they all, it's a, you'll see how they connect when we do that, okay? So, but let's talk about this. One thing we didn't talk about last week, I gave you a week off, three themes, Right? The reason why we need to know these three themes as we're going forward is because you're going to see, last week we talked about how the faithfulness, God's faithfulness was right there with Samson at the end. Right, Samson, at the very end, he has a very humble moment, and he says, remember me? Do you remember that? And we talked about how the grace, there was that moment of grace, because God's desire is to give grace to people. That's, that's what He wants. You know, a lot of people think God's out there to give out wrath. No, his, his desire is to give out grace. He has to give out wrath because he has to deal with sin. And so in that moment, as we talked about how Samson had his eyes gouged out, that's divine punishment. And yet, even though God punished him, he still gave him grace. There's still grace right there. And so that faithfulness is going to be the last time you see grace in the book of Judges. Everything from here on out is death and destruction. And the reason why is because the unfaithfulness of humanity, the disobedience that comes. Everything from here on out is, in the, is like if you could picture this, God pulling back and just allowing us to do whatever we want. And you're going to see what kind of world that ends up in. At the end, we're going to connect this to our world. Okay? So, but we need to know these three themes. God's faithful despite humans' unfaithfulness. God calls us to obedient lives. When we disobey God, it leads to personal and social turmoil. Okay? So all those. The, this last one is what we're going to see for the next several chapters. All right? Until we end the book. All right? So we got that. And then the other thing was week 13, right? That was last week's, and we talked about this just real quick. God responds to humble hearts. That's what He wants. He wants to respond to the humbleness of humanity, but we're going to see how that does not happen for the rest of Judges, all right? So we're in Judges chapter 17. The way we're going to do this, we're going to look at three um, passages. They're all about seven to six verses. We're going to look at them separately. Um, because it sets up the story that we need to understand. It sets the people up, okay? It's like the character introductions. So we're going to look at each of these character introductions, and we're going to talk about who they are and why is it important that we understand their introduction as we move forward, all right? So Judges chapter 17, we're going to read verses 1 through um, 7, or 1 through 6 here, just to start out. Here we go. 
There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah, and he said to his mother, The the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse and also spoke in my ears, behold, the silver is with me, I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now therefore I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And and the man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod of household gods and ordained and household guards, and they ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So let's stop right there. I want to give us where we're at, right? Because we're talking about where we're at. So if you could put that up there. Okay, so here's all those different um, uh, judges, right, that we've been talking about. We went through all these different judges. These are the, uh, mostly mainly ju- uh, main judges. There's a couple not. But that red dot right there, that's where we're talking about. That's where we're at. Does that make sense? So we're in the heart of it, right? We're in the heart of Israel. And so this is where Micah is. And what's interesting about Micah, a couple things about him. One is he's a thief. Like we know that from the get-go. He stole $1,100 basically from his mom. You want to put it that way. He steals 1,100 silver pieces from his mom. Now, she puts a curse, she says, she says a curse, you know, whoever spends that, I hope their head gets chopped off, you know, type of thing. And so he takes that and he says, whoa, I don't want any part of that. So he comes back and confesses. She turns around and she takes a portion of it and she has a, a graven image made. And it talks about, it's a graven image, a metal image, and it's probably a metal image that's overlaid with something. Or the opposite, you know, it's overlaid with the metal. So it's, but it's just basically an idol. And so just, and, and then Micah takes it. He takes it and puts it into his house. So just those two things, we can already see that this guy doesn't really follow God. Like he is not a, a real follower, maybe. And what's interesting here is his name means who is like the Lord. And it start, so we start off with this, this character, the first character that we get after Samson. And his name means who's like the Lord, meaning what other God is like God? That's the idea here. So you go from Samson, who's supposed to be the worst of the worst judges, right? And the, the first person that we get to, his name means who's like God. And if we've been reading, we know that no one is, right? No one's like God. Whether man or deity, no one is like the God of Israel. And then the first thing this man does is breaks two of the Ten Commandments of Exodus 20. He steals and he accepts an image. Yeah, he has a, an idol. Like So already this guy is not doing what his name says. He's, he's saying, you know what, other gods are comparable. Like his name means there's no one comparable to God. And he's saying, no, there are. And so you have this, this guy that is not already on a good foot. And it just keeps getting worse. Because we find out he has a shrine. He sets up this shrine. 
And then on top of that, he makes an ephod. And if you remember back to Gideon, Gideon also made an ephod. And it's a priestly thing. It's the priests wear these to communicate to God. So he's basically setting up his own religion. Because then he ordains his son to be a priest. And we have to understand something. This guy is an Ephraimite. Okay? The priestly group is the Levites. So back in Exodus 28, you have the Levites being chosen as the only priests. No, no other group, no other tribe could be a priest. They could be prophets. They could be leaders. They could not be a priest. And yet here's an Ephraimite saying, I'm going to get me my son. He's gonna, and so basically what we see is a cult. We see a brand new cult starting up within the bigger Israel. And it's funny because every, if you look at every cult, it's all about stealing and so, setting up graven images. And here we go. Here's Micah doing just that. And so this is huge stuff. So he sets up the idol. We have the rival worship location. So he's in Ephraim, right? Shiloh is right down the road, by the way. And at this point in history, that's where God's tabernacle is, is in Shiloh. But this is a separate one. So he has a different location. Um, he sets up the graven image. He has the ephod. He sets up a separate priesthood. And this is called, we call it now today, we call it syncretism. Where you're syncing up. You know how like if you have a Bluetooth or your phone, like a lot of modern cars you get in and your phone will sync up to whatever that Bluetooth is in your, in your car. So syncretism is syncing of two religions or two belief systems and combining them together. And so we see that right here. Micah is um, syncing up pagan worship and what's called Yahwehism or the worship of, of the Lord of the Bible. Okay, So he's syncing up these two practices here. And this, this whole problem does not stop with Micah. This is the whole point of the story. It doesn't stop with Micah. And it will endure for hundreds of years. And it starts right here. Okay? So that's who Micah is. We're starting off on a really good foot, right? Last section, we're really going good. Right? So let's talk about the next person in the story. And this is starting in verse 7 of chapter 17. Did I get all the things right? Are we we're good so far? Yeah. Oh, I got one more. Okay. At the very end there in verse 6, it has this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is a really important part. I can't believe I missed it. This becomes a new mantra. This gets said over and over and over again in these last few chapters. If you remember back, what was, how did almost every single judge cycle start? And Israel did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Right? It's that sight. God saw it and He said, that's evil. And so He put them into um, bondage, right? Into, because of their sin, He allowed the other nations to conquer them. And when they cried out, He sent the judge. Right? That's the judge cycle. Okay, so now we get to Samson. And remember what was Samson's problem? problem. He had an eye problem, right? It was, he saw something, he said, I want that, and he went after it. 
Now, what's this say? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone is having an eye problem. Everyone's going after what they desire. And this becomes something that happens throughout the rest. So everyone did what was right in their own eyes. What they wanted, that's what they did. They said they could justify it. And, you know, we've talked about that before. It's easy to justify your actions, right? And that's what they're doing. They're justifying their act. They're saying, this is right. I'm going to do this. So they kept going after it. So this becomes the mantra. No more will we see it was evil in God's sight. It's everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Because it's, it's so, they're so gone now. Okay? So, all right. Now we can get to the next guy. All right, verse 7. Now there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judea, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the, man, and the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judea to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, Where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I am, journeying to so, I am going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, Stay with me. And be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your living. And the Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. And Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. All right, so now we're talking about this unnamed Levite. So we're just going to call him the Levite, right? So here's where he's coming from. He's down here. If we could throw that map up, um, girl. Okay, so that big red dot, the smaller red dot, he's traveling from down here up, All right? So there's Bethlehem. He's coming from that area, and he's going up into it. And so he's kind of wandering, all right? And so he's going up there, and he says, I'm sojourning, I'm trying to find a place for myself. Well, what's interesting this is that the Levites, so every other tribe gets a, an allotment of land, an area where to build their, their tribe up, right? And um, the Levites didn't. They got some cities and some land around those cities but they didn't get a whole section and the reason why is because their allotment was god himself they were to be the servants of god the ones that did all the ceremonial priestly work that was their allotment and so he's taken off and i have another map up there but it's kind of further down carol um and it shows you all of the the cities um, yeah, so see those red, don't, matter, don't worry about the circles. See all those red flags? Those are all the different cities that the Levites were given. So they had a bunch of cities. And then you can kind of see, see the red dot at the bottom and then that bigger red dot? Those are the two red dots we're talking about. All right, so these two dots, you can see that there are a, a couple cities around that area where he could live. Right, that he could go and be a priest and do those things. Okay, and he's not that far from Shiloh. Maybe he was on his way to Shiloh. Maybe he thought maybe I could go to Shiloh. And you know, he just all we know about him is he's sojourning. He's on a journey, and the purpose of that journey is that I may find a place for myself. 
we need to understand his mental state because of what happens next in this in that story right so he's going he meets up with micah and we already know who micah is he's the cult leader right so he's already started that cult, and he goes where are you from he goes oh i'm you know i'm from this is the area i'm from judah i'm from bethlehem i'm a levite i'm trying to find my way he goes why don't you come with me perfect this is cult stuff like if you ever learn about cults and how they do things, they find people that are kind of lost in this world and they grab them and they say, come with us. And they do this with the Levite. Now, the Levite, he's not, don't, he's not innocent in this. And the guy tells me, hey, why don't you be my priest? And, you know, and I'll give you money. I'll give you a place to stay. and You can be my priest. And it sounds good to the Levite. And then it says Micah ordained him into this. So now he's, he's a part of this cult. He's a part of this group. And so this is really important stuff, right? And it's, as I was reading this, it's really interesting because everything, it comes down to this, what we're talking about, boundaries. Micah did not stay within the boundaries of God's commands, right? Thief, idol worshiper. He didn't go to Shiloh, which is just around the corner. So it's very close. He's setting up his own priesthood. He's completely outside the boundaries of God's covenant at this point. Here's a Levite. He's trying to find his own way in life. God already prescribed where he should go. He should have been like, um, can we go back to that one map with all the different flags? He could have been like, well, I'm on my way um, up. I don't know all these. So I'm on my way up to Kishon up there. You know, it's going to be a while. Or I'm going on my way to Shechem. Or I'm on my way to Michelle. You know, he could have said, that's where I'm going. Because that's where God prescribed. He prescribed one of these cities. So I'm going to go there and see if that's where God wants me. But he says, I'm just looking for a place. So he's not within God's boundaries either. So he has removed himself from the God's boundaries. And he's going his own way. So now you have two people going their own way. What's going to happen? Nothing good. And so then... So if we could go back, I'm just making, I'm just messing with Carol now. Um, so now we get to the third group that's a part of the story. So now we drop down to chapter 18, verse 1. It says this. In those days, there was no king. Okay, this is a big thing, right? They're not following king. No one's following king. And in those days, the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for himself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. So the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and from Eshtal, to spy out the land and to explore it. And they said to them, go and explore um, the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. When they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levi, and they turned aside and said to him, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is your business here? And he said to them, This is how Micah dealt with me. He has hired me, and I have become his priest. And they said to him, Inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. And the priest said to them, Go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. All right. So now we have a, a third character we have the danites these five guys that were sent off and to explore now i want to show you the map again okay now we can look at the other dots all right see that big dot right there the orange one 
that was their allotted area. Where are they going? Not there. They're going up to the big red dot. And eventually, guess where they're going? To the big yellow dot. They're a little outside of the boundaries God set for them. Okay? They go from the the east or from the west coast and they're going all the way north. I mean, they are way outside. And this is huge stuff. You know what the issues are right now? Remember we just talked last week in Samson's story about the Philistines? The Philistines were coming into that area. So instead of dealing with them and trusting God to give them that land, they decided, let's go somewhere else. We're going to go find our own place. You see how each one of these guys are trying to find their own thing outside of God's? This is what's going on. And so just like the Levite, just like Micah, we have a group here, the Danites, who are going outside of God's prescribed allotment, His, His command. And so this is just something that happens. Each one of these guys are doing just that. And what ends up happening is they go, they search out the land, they come back, and they talk with the other, the, the, their 600 men they meet up with. They come out and they're like, they tell them about the story of Micah. And of the Levitical priests. And so they go to him and they say, and they take everything. And so when we drop down here, um, let's see, where am I? Yeah, here we go. I'm going to go to Jeremiah later, okay? I just want to drop down to verse 19 because this is where, where it leads, okay? Yeah. It says, and they said to him, keep quiet. They're like, we're going to take all this stuff from Micah. Micah's not there. They're go- we're going to take all his stuff, the ephod, the carved image, all that. We're going to take it all. Keep quiet. Put your hand on your mouth and come with us and be to us a father and a priest. It is better for you to be a priest to the house of one man or to be a priest to a tribe and a clan in Israel. What are they trying to do? They're upping the ante. They're saying, hey, you want a bigger... And I just, the only thing I can think of is this. You want a bigger church? Like, that's, like, when I read this, that's the first thing. Do you want a bigger church? You want a bigger name? What's better? For a small one person, a family, come be to a whole tribe of Israel. And his response is, Right after it, and the priest's heart was glad. He found himself something. And so this is, this is that whole interaction between these people. And we can tell that it's not good. Like the priest isn't, they came to the priest, those five guys, and they said, hey, can you tell us if God's leading us in the right direction? Right? And he's like, oh, Yes. They weren't. That's just the plain thing. They were not where God had them. Later on, and this is the Jeremiah passage. So in Jeremiah 23, God talks about people who do this. And he uses, he talks about the prophets. 
how there are prophets who will speak for him and they don't actually speak for him. And so in Jeremiah 23, 16 through 17, we get this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say no disaster, disaster shall come upon you. Does that sound like the priest and the Danites and all that? It's, it's someone who, this priest is being asked, hey, is everything going to go okay? And he's like, yeah, go ahead. But we already know the priest and the Danites themselves despise the word of the Lord. And so when the priest speaks, he's not, pre- he's not speaking on behalf of God. He's speaking because, hey, have you ever been in a situation where like you're, if you, you think, if I say the wrong thing, I'm going to get hit upside the head? Like, that happened a lot with my parents. I'd be like, I could say this, and I'm going to get smacked. If I say it like this, I'll just get grounded. You know? Or I could just lie. You know, like, I don't know. Okay, it's just me. Um, you guys have never dealt with something like that. I see. You guys are better than me. I, I get it. But that, that's, you know, so how you say or what you say to someone, and if you're non-confrontational and you just want everything to go, you know, get along to get, get along, right? Here's, my, or here's the Levitical priest saying, oh, yeah, God's watching it. He's a, approving it. He's not. Because it ends, this whole section ends with this. And the people of Dan set up the carven image for themselves. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of, Dan, of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. And so the idea here, okay, so now they've separated, right? They have their own place, their own carbon image, their own priesthood. They've separated this out. And what's interesting, you start reading through, and you start going all the way down into the the kings, and you start seeing the divide of the... So it it becomes a united monarchy. Um, You have Saul, then you have David, you have um, Solomon, and then it gets divided into two. Uh, because of Rehoboam and his stuff. And you have two kingdoms. You have the southern kingdom. You have the northern kingdom. The southern ki- kingdom is basically all the... Um, is Judah and the Benjamites. And then you have everyone else is a part of the northern kingdom. The Danites included. And if you read through the kings of the northern kingdom, these people are wicked to the bone. Like they just do wicked, wicked stuff. And God deals with them really harshly so both kingdoms eventually get put into exile the northern kingdom though gets utterly destroyed like they like they're come when they get destroyed by the assyrians the Assyrians come in and just wreck them to a point where after that in the history it's never talked about again the restoration of the kingdom is always judah it always focuses on Judah. And there's purpose in that because of Jesus. But the idea here is that these people are just, they're just following wickedness and that lasts hundreds of years and leads to the complete 
and utter destruction of, what is that? Ten of the tribes of Judah, uh, of Israel. Now they're still there, but they are so wrecked that as far as Israel history is concerned, they're basically just wiped out. And it all starts right here. This one little moment with that one guy saying, you know what? I'm going to steal and I'm going to make an image. He goes outside of the boundaries of God, brings in the Levite. The Danites see that. They're brought into this and they expand that cult. And it all started with this just one guy, Micah. Isn't that crazy how, it can, how something like that can just keep going and just destroy so many lives? We can see this today. There are so many cults in our, in our world that do the exact same thing. It starts with a lie and then goes to idol worship and it goes to destruction and it just keeps going bigger and bigger. And so, so this is the, the whole section. And the, whoop, and the question becomes, what, what should we learn from this, right? What does God want to teach us with this? So if we could put that up. So God sets these boundaries for us. He sets out so many boundaries for us. And we can think, well, if we could just go outside those boundaries, it would be better. Now, I don't know if you've ever played the, uh, any type of sport. It doesn't matter if it's uh, chess or boxing, like uh, individual sports. Or you get to the, the big teams, right? Like 11 man football, you know, big. If you've ever played anything, even Monopoly with your friend, <laughs> right? If you guys cheat or someone plays a certain way and you don't, how many of you, when you play Monopoly, play free parking? You put all the money in free parking and then whoever lands on free parking, you get how? But a show of hands, who does it? Don't play with these people. Because you're gonna, if you don't do that, you're going to get upset. I do the same thing. Yeah, don't even get me started on Monopoly. My, my mom called me Satan one time. Because I would make deals to prolong the game because I love playing the game. And she's just like, I want to be done. Yeah. So, but I mean, like, there are... So we, how many play um, Uno and you might like take a draw two, you put it on there and you're like, oh, a draw two on a draw two. So the next person, okay, that's illegal. Just to let you know, like the, the, the Uno people are like, you can't do that. And it's like, you don't want to play with me. So you can put draw twos on draw twos. You can put draw fours on draw twos. You could reverse that. If it's the right color, you could skip it. Oh man, I throw in so, so many different rules, and people hate playing it because it's so confusing. It's like exactly that's how I win, right? So, but when you play without boundaries, no one has fun except the person who's winning, right? And yet, and so we think, oh, if I just go outside of God's boundaries, then it'll be fun, and it's not. Because it just leads to heartache and hurt and destruction of relationships. You know, and so it's the boundaries are there, just like in baseball, you can't hit 
out of the, you know, if you hit it out of the park, that's one thing, but if you hit past the foul line, that's a whole different thing. You can't tackle a certain person uh, in a certain way, right? Like in quarterback right now, if you hit the guy after he throws the ball, that's a penalty, right? If you play in modern-day basketball, you couldn't be Michael Jordan because he, it's a whole different game. They actually put rules in place at certain eras to make the game certain ways. You know, in baseball, I'm just giving you a bunch of rules now. In baseball, you know, they actually adjust the, the height of the mound depending on if they want more home runs or not. Like, it, because of the mound. Because if the mound's lower, the ball's coming straighter, it's easier to see, and they can hit better hits. They raise the mound, the ball's coming down. And we're talking like just barely moving this thing. But the ball comes down, now it's a pitcher's game. So when the pitchers are dominating us in a season, but ask the question, is the mound up or down? And so it's just little things like that that make a game worth playing. But then we turn around and we go, well, I can do my own thing with God. And it's the same thing. It becomes disastrous, just like it would be in a, a sports game, any sports game. It's disastrous when we go outside of God's boundaries. And that boundary is, we can. Find, when you ask, okay, what boundaries? It's here. It's what God says. And so, you go. I always tell people, you want to know what God wants from you? Read Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. Like, you read the Sermon on the Mount, you can start seeing like he's, he talks about, we talked about this a while back, oaths, vows, right? You guys remember what Jesus says about those? Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's it. Why? Because anything additionally is evil, he says. It, it caused problems, right? If you, if you say to someone, and we, we had to do this as parents, where the kids would be like, can, you, can we do this? And we'll say, we'll see, right? Because if we say, Yes, and we don't do that. Then we have a three foot nothing um, nag. When are we going to do? It? When are we going to do this? Right? That's what that happens. Well, it's because I told them something, and then I didn't fulfill it. My yes wasn't my yes. And so when we go beyond what God says, hurt even in the the smallest way we can break relationships and so you go through matthews five through seven start looking at that lying lust i mean we just he just covers all these things uh uh, while we were gone this past um spring one church was going through uh the sermon on the mount and they said the day that they called it the day that god spoke about everything i don't know about that but he spoke about a ton of boundaries and if we could just take Matthew 7 and say, okay, God, I'm just gonna, let's just work on this, man, our lives would change. It's a completely different thing. So boundaries are really, really important because when we go outside of those boundaries, that's when we descend into horrific sinful activities. And next week, I can't emphasize this enough, next week is horrific, okay? Like, we're going to read it and you're going to go, oh. And it all starts with this, going outside of boundaries. Like, that's where it starts. It doesn't, it doesn't start with the horrific mutilations. It starts with a simple lie that leads to idol worship. 
that leads to a cult. Like, I mean, that's where it started, just that little lie, right? That little stealing. And now we get to next week. All right? So, but on the other hand, why does God give us the boundaries? I like John 10.10. John 10.10, Jesus says this, right? If you probably think about this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Let's stop right there. The thief comes, can you go back? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's boundary-breaking stuff, right? It's a thief who has broken in, right? Already they broke the boundaries, right? We put little hexagon things that say, do not trespass. Why? It's a boundary. Do not go past this. You know, have different signs. Um, We don't call 911, right? Uh, 45 is faster than a phone call, right? And we say that, why? Because boundary, don't pass it. So the thief comes to break boundaries. Killing, that's a boundary, right? Thou shall not kill. It's murder, but you shouldn't kill, right? All right, and destroy, that's a boundary, right? So what Jesus is saying, this guy, he's come to break the boundaries, right? But going with everything that Jesus says, and he says this, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. But if we understand Jesus' theology, John 14 comes real soon after this, and that's no one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus. That's a boundary, a very specific boundary. In fact, this section falls into a boundary about the Good Shepherd. And how the good shepherd stands at the gate, a boundary for his sheep. And so this whole thing is about boundary. The enemy, the thief, wants to destroy God's boundaries. The people of God should embrace the boundaries of God and say, you know what? Why are you doing this, God? Why? What's the boundary for? Our safety. Have life and have it abundantly. Like that's what the boundary's for. So that we could play the game God has given us to its maximum effect. Not the other way around. We break the boundary, that breaks good living. And so when we go outside of God's boundary, if you've ever had a moment or a, several moments outside of God's boundary, how was it? It might have been sweet at first, right? Because let's be honest, sin can be sweet for a time quickly gets bitter and it's i i step outside god's boundary and for a time it might be yeah i'm doing good samson did it until it got him gouged his eyes out and you know like that wasn't good and it was because he went outside god's boundary and eventually it caught up with him and so it's the same thing with us yet if we're in god's boundaries our life can be lived to its fullest. So, as a people of God, we should say, I want the boundaries of God. And to some people, they're like, ah, oh, you know, think outside the box. You know why the box is there? Because it's a boundary to help us. Now I get the idea. So, as a people of God, we should go, God, what's your boundaries? I want them. And so my challenge for you this week is is simple. First, you got to read 17 through 18 because we we skipped over 
right? We stopped at reading in um, verse, I think it's 6 or 7 of chapter 18, and then we skipped down to 19. So there's a whole section where the Danites show up and they do all that stuff, okay? So you've got to read the whole thing in its context, 17 and 18, right? And then with the, with the thought of boundaries, okay? So as you're reading, look for those boundaries, all right? And then seek the Holy Spirit this way. Maybe if you're outside of God's boundaries in one area or another, or just, hey, God, you know, I feel like I should go here. Is that outside your boundary? Would you not want me there? Just seek the Lord and, and about boundaries. What should be my boundaries, right? And so there's one boundary in ministry that we, I try to do is Mondays. I try very hard, no, no ministry on Mondays, right? And the reason why has nothing to do with you all. It has to do with a boundary so that I can have my wife tell me what to do. That's what it is. It's, it's a boundary of listening to your wife. Um, and so, but, and sometimes uh, during the winter time, sometimes that boundary gets broken. And then at, I catch up in the spring. <laughs> you know, and so th- it's all those things. God, am I going outside the boundary? That's what we should be asking. It shouldn't be asking, God, why the boundary? It should be, I want to make sure I'm within the boundary. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Uh, thank you for your word that gives us all the boundaries that we need. Um, Lord, help us to live within those boundaries so that we may honor you um, and live the life that you've created us to live and the life that you've called us to live. Lord, I thank you so much that we're able to learn from the past, from people like Micah, from people like the Levites and the Danites, that we might not make the same mistakes. But Lord, when we do, I, I praise you for your grace. That when we turn to you, you love on us. And so, Father, I pray for anyone out here right now that they're, they're in a place of, they've broken boundaries. That might be they're in a, a lustful situation or they're in a, a, a gossip situation or they're hurting someone or they're being hurt, Lord. They're, that life is outside the boundaries. Father, I pray that you would move by your Holy Spirit to turn them back to you that you would embrace them so so hard that they would see and just wake up like Saul. They would have those skills brought off and a whole new life is ahead of them. A life within the boundaries, within the, the abundant living that you have called us and created us to be in. So Father, I thank you that we even can discuss it. And it's only because you are good. And so Father, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.